This podcast is free and it's accessible to everyone thanks to support from listeners like you. If you value this show, please consider supporting its production by donating to our home, KUOW. It only takes a minute to give and you'll be helping to support the production of this podcast. Make a donation at KUOW.org or follow the link in the show notes. And thanks. Hey, everybody. I'm excited to say that I've just spent the last hour or so in this beautiful grove of trees recording a new interview for the second season of The Wild. I'll be able to share more with you about that later. But for now, we've got another bonus episode. I want to share with you my full conversation with Florence Williams. You might remember her from our episode on forest bathing. Florence is a journalist and author. She wrote an article in Outside magazine about the benefits of time spent in nature. And she's expanded that article into a book, and the book's titled The Nature Fix, Why Nature Makes Us Happier, Healthier, and More Creative. I started our conversation telling her about when I first came across her book. I saw your book in the bookstore the other day and I recognized your name and I couldn't believe it because you wrote the article in Outside magazine back in, what year was that? Like six years ago or so? 2013, I think, yeah. Right. And that article totally inspired my obsession with this subject. Wow, you're uh, kidding. (laughs) No, it was amazing. So I'm, I'm in the bookstore and there's your book. I'm like... I think that's the lady who wrote the the fa- this article has become famous in my life. I've passed it on to so many people, and and it's beca- it became the basis of this whole episode. So so thank you. And now you've taken it even further, and and, and your book on the subject and is called Nature Fix. And uh, why that title? What is is it something that's broken, or is it something that you know what what's broken, and, and what are you trying to fix? Yeah, great question. Um, You know, I like the sort of double meaning in fix in that, yes, I think we humans can use a little fixing. Um, You know, we live a life that's so cut off from from nature and even from other authentic experiences, right? I think we all feel a little bit too plugged in sometimes and and like we can use some help. Um, But I also like the definition of fix as sort of a hit, almost like a drug, um, that when we go outside, um, it has these medicinal qualities, it has these mood-boosting qualities, um, and we can, in fact, get a fix. I love it. I, I feel already like I'm talking to a kindred spirit. <laughs> <laughs> I think so. <laughs> it's great. I mean, I, I lie. I wake up in the morning thinking about some of this stuff, so it's, it's really great to talk to you about it. Um, I've got some real specifics for you. So in your, in your article for Outside Magazine, you went into what scientists in Japan are learning about how nature affects the human body on a, on a physical level and where they were looking at the difference between walking in an environment setting, in, in an urban setting, and, and walking in nature. Um, what, what, did you, what did they learn? Can you, what, what did they learn from that sort of experiment? Yeah, I think Japan was kind of an interesting place to start out because they really were um, trying to figure out sort of what the data points were. You know, is there something measurable? Are there biomarkers in our body for what happens to us when we go into different environments? And um, so what they found is that even after, and this is sort of remarkable, after just 15 minutes of, you know, what they call forest bathing outside in the woods, um, and, and really what that means is just kind of opening all of your senses, being very present. Um, so you're smelling the wonderful smells of the forest, you're listening to the bird song and the leaves rustle, you know, you're feeling your breeze on, the ch- on your cheek. Even after just 15 minutes of that, they were finding this reduction in heart rate, 
drop in blood pressure, um, drop in stress hormones like cortisol, some different wave, sort of brain wave patterns. And, you know, and when I first heard this, I was a little bit skeptical because I thought, well, sure, you know, people are just, they're outside and they're moving and they're exercising a little bit. They're walking around, you know, and we know that exercise is really clearly linked to sort of feelings of well-being, right, and restoration. But um, the scientists there, you know, they controlled for that by also sending groups of people to walk around urban areas for the same mileage, the same amount of time. And they really only saw these sort of well-being effects in the forest walkers. So it was kind of intriguing to me. Mm, and even I remember reading about you, you, you writing saying that it was uh, even better moods and lowering anxiety, you know, which, which seems to be less measurable in some ways. But how are they actually, and, and how are they actually measuring the, the physiological changes? How do they do that? You know, like how are they measuring uh, cortisol, for example? So with the cortisol, um, they have these sort of very fat kind of Q-tips <laughs> that you suck on for a while. Uh, and they, you know, they get some saliva uh, in that and they can have that analyzed pretty quickly for cortisol levels. Um, and then there are other machines they use to mo monitor things like heart rate variability. Um, and that measures actually sort of the difference between your heartbeats uh, and can tell how quickly you're responding to stress actually in real time. Um, and then, you know, basic pulse monitors. Um, there was a, a gizmolator that they, they can put on your head to measure <laughs> some, some frontal cortex stuff. Um, but at the same time, they have these, you know, pretty well-established measures in the field of psychology that are just questionnaires. You know, how would you rate your sense of frustration right now? How would you rate your anxiety? How would you rate your, your sort of mood? Um, and, and those are pretty well established. And, and what they find in, in those questionnaires is that it really seems to correlate, again, to this walk in nature, but not so much the walk in the middle of the city. It makes it makes total sense, right? To those of us who spend time in nature, you always feel better after a, walk, a simple walk in the woods. And it's this stuff is pointing the finger as to why that's the case, right? It's so interesting. Yes, and yet what, what was so interesting to me too is that we don't pay attention to how well we feel after a nature walk. You know, we tend to undervalue sometimes, and this has been shown in other surveys, we undervalue how happy it makes us to be outside, and we overvalue things like, you know, television or shopping, <laughs> which actually mm. have these really transitory effects. Um, but, but when they actually measure it and when they look at these questionnaires, um, it's quite revealing because it's like, oh, wait a minute, I actually felt really good when I was outside. And so, you know, one mm. of the messages I'd really try to convey in my book is that we all need to just pay a little bit more attention. Like, really pay attention to how we feel when we're in these different environments. And then which elements of being outside speak to us? You know, are, do we love the trees or do we like the coast? Do we like looking at sunsets, you know, or do we like, you know, looking at cool insects, you know, on the sidewalk? Um, so sort of knowing what really makes you happy and then spending some more time doing that. I love it. I love it. Those are great guidelines. You know, the, it's a little bit like the wild, the way we talk about it. It's different to everybody. You know, it can be sitting under a tree That's in your right. backyard or it can be in the, deep in the wilderness in, in, in Alaska. Um, That's right. So the other thing that, you know, I was intrigued with, you know, the scientists are learning about these, these, the effects of nature on our immune systems as well. What, what, are they, what are they finding out about there? Well, yeah, that's. I met another researcher in Japan who's an immunologist, and he's actually looking at these killer T cells, which are part of our immune system. Um, killer T cells are really important for fighting things like cancer and various infections. Uh, and, and he's been specifically focused on um, these aerosols from the trees called phytoncides. And these are, you know, chemicals that are sort of emitted from trees. 
um, I guess they're they're especially sort of potent and maybe useful from some of these evergreen trees that they have in Japan, like these hinoki cypress trees. Um, and it's a combination of these compounds like limonene um, that we that smell wonderful. They sort of smell like you know Christmas tree meets vapor rub. You know, is mm-hmm. how I describe it. It's a kind <laughs> nice. of invigorating smell when you go into the woods. Um, and what he's found is that after we're exposed to these you know special substances and compounds, we make more killer T cells actually boosts our immune cells. Um, and that boost is, is remains quite high for seven days after a visit to a forest. Um, but it also remains elevated after 30 days. So, you know, it's sort of a lower level. So, you know, this guy, his name is Ching Li, um, and he's written his own book now on forest medicine. He recommends, you know, if you can, go for a walk in the woods at least once a week, you know, get that high boost in immune cells. Um, but if you, if, you know, if you can go once a month, even that might, might really help you out. Wow, it's actually increasing our immunity and helping to fight off. I know I'd, I'd even read about uh, fighting off tumors and potentially even, even implica- implications for cancer, right? Right, and and there are other scientists who who are convinced that you know maybe it's not all, only about these phytoncides, but but just this sort of um, greater biodiversity, right, of of microbacteria, um, bacteria in general in the forest. Um, uh, th- these are things that humans evolved with. We evolved with exposures to all these bacteria, and these bacteria may also help us fight, you know, sort of illness or fight kind of worse bacteria, right? So, sort mm. of the more biodiversity we can expose ourselves to, um, the better. And that's that's part of this hygiene hypothesis. You know, where kids who grow up on farms or in rural areas um, have fewer um, cases of asthma and allergies and things like that. So, I think that's right. another intriguing possibility. And I think you know the science isn't really totally totally resolved on this issue. There's still a lot to be done. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I'm a firm believer, though. I've got you'd be proud to know I've got a little vial of Hinoki cypress oil on my bedside table. <laughs> thanks. Thanks to you. Thanks for my, I, I should have bought stock in Hinoki cypress oil. <laughs> yes. It's not too late. It's going to spike after this lot. conversation. I know it. <laughs> Hey, my name's Claire McGrain, and I'm a producer for Seattle Now, KUOW's local news podcast. There is a lot happening in our region, and it's a lot of work to keep track of it all. We'll get you caught up on the latest news and take a deep dive into something happening around the city, all in under 15 minutes. Get a morning walk-in or grab a cup of coffee and start your day with us. Learn something new and connect with our city by searching for Seattle Now wherever you get your podcasts. I know they ran an experiment to measure the effects of these scents, these phytoncides that you've talked about. Can you describe what that was? Yes, this researcher, Dr. Cheng Li, um, he, you know, he measured these killer T cells in people after visiting a forest. He also measured the, the killer T cells in a Petri dish, and he exposed the cells in the dish to some of these um, substances found in the Hinoki cypress tree. But the most interesting experiment I think he did was that he, he put people in a hotel, and they had to stay in the hotel for three days in their rooms. And in half the rooms, he misted them with the Sunoki cypress, you know, coming <laughs> out of a, a mister. Um, and in the other rooms, they they maybe just got misted, I think, with water. There was some kind of control substance. And he measured their killer T cells before and after. Um, and he found this, you know, really um, statistically significant increase uh, in these killer T cells in the people who were in the, you know, nicely scented hotel rooms. 
Wow. That really is. So failing a walk in the woods, get yourself a, a humidifier and some, some, some Hinoki cypress oil, right? Exactly. And I should have bought stock in that too. Damn. <laughs> <laughs> um, I was, I was going to ask you about the, you know, what's been, what have you seen as the result of this evolving research in Japan and how, how are people responding there? I think that there has been a slow sort of increase in the idea of nature as medicine. So you see this medicalization of time outside um, where doctors are starting to prescribe it. They're actually taking walks with their patients. Um, and, and again, I don't, think it's, I don't think it's a huge, huge trend even in Japan, but I think it is slowly sort of building some momentum. And I think it is in this country too. I, I heard recently that there are something like 72 clinical practices in the United States where doctors are actually prescribing nature and time outside to their patients. I love it. It gets back to the title of your magazine article. Can you remind me what it was again? I believe it was um, Take Two Hours of Pine Forest and Call Me in the Morning. <laughs> I love it. It just says it all. That's perfect. Um, <laughs> I've got to ask, you know, to me, as you can probably tell, I, I'm excited about this subject matter. And I think it's just all such cool stuff for a hundred different reasons. For me, it's about reconnecting people with nature and helping them fall in love with it. And then if they do that for, for altruistic reasons, great. If they do it for selfish reasons, great. doesn't matter. But perhaps they, end, perhaps they end up appreciating and protecting some of these wild places that they know that they need. So I think there's tons of stuff that's great about this. It's also just very good for people. I've got to ask you, what surprised you? What has surprised you most about the research that you've done and, and, and diving deep into this? Yeah, that's a good question. You know, I, I wasn't surprised that being outside makes us feel better. <laughs> um, I, I wasn't surprised about that at all, or even that it makes us more creative. Um, you know, as someone who lived in, I lived in the mountains in, in Colorado and Montana for most of my adult life. And I certainly know that I got some of my best ideas when I was outside. Um, I found, you know, some peace and calm outside. And if I didn't go out for the day, I would, you know, feel grumpy later. But I think one of the things that surprised me in the research is that nature can actually um, make us get along better with other people, time outside, uh, that it can it can sort of make us better people as far as our self-concept and our sense of ourselves and our communities. So there's been some really interesting new work on the science of awe, A-W-E, awe, and that when we're in the presence of something sort of beautiful and mysterious you know, like an incredible sunset, um, you know, looking at a mountaintop or even just something as simple as, you know, a butterfly kind of surprising us, right, in our path. It pulls us out of our own heads and makes us feel like we're part of something larger, which, you know, seems like a sort of obvious thing to say. But it turns out that that, that, that concept of being pulled out of ourselves is really, really important to our sense of well-being and to our psychology. And, and if you think about it, it's not something that we really experience very often in these lives, you know, where we live sort of isolated and indoors. You know, maybe we see a cool video, you know, on Facebook or something. <laughs> but in general, we're not exposed to the kind of awe found in nature that, that we were, you know, in a more primitive life when we really lived outside. And there's something mm. about that experience that seems to be very, very important for not only feeling like we're part of something larger in terms of nature, but, but that we're part of a larger community as well. So I was really interested in exploring this idea of how, um, in some ways, wilderness is actually good for civilization. 
because it makes us feel like we are part of a community, that we have a responsibility to each other. Um, and, and studies have shown this, that, that even in a lab, after looking at photographs of like a waterfall or of a whale, that we behave in ways that are more generous to other people. Like we'll play some kind of you know computer game after looking at these photos. And, and we, we're, we're better teammates. We give away more lottery tickets. We give away more money to charity. You know, there's certain ways that, that the researchers have of measuring sort of altruism. Um, and it seems like it's really partly impacted by this feeling of awe. Seems like the list of things that nature can't do for us is very short. <laughs> <laughs> do you know what I mean? There are so many angles to this. I could sit and listen to you all day about this stuff because I, it's almost like you say, when you bring it down to the future of civilization, perhaps rests in part on our relationship with nature and wild places. Wow, that's quite something, isn't it? It is. And it's also, I have to say, a little bit discouraging in a way because, you know, I can sense, you know, our kids are getting more and more disconnected from nature all the time. Our cities are getting, you know, less green and more paved over all the time. Um, I, I have this I have this sort of joke that we should have a ficus campaign where everyone gives their congressperson, uh, you know, a potted palm or some kind of plant, mm-hmm. you know, to bring a little bit of biophilia into Congress, you know, so that, that they actually start getting along better with each other and actually getting things done. Right. That's a really good, a really good uh, approach. Yes, I like it. What advice do you have for people to get the most out of what nature has to offer? Like if someone's listening in, um, what, what do they think? I mean, about their busy daily lives, what would you say to them to, 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 to help guide them to get the most out of nature from what you've learned? Well, I have really simple advice, and that's just to go outside <laughs> and to go yeah. often. Uh, and then also, you know, bring young people with you if you can, because I think connecting this next generation is just challenging, right? They are, they're, they're inside all the time. There are so many temptations um, for all of us to be indoors more. And so I think it's kind of like, I hate to say it because it doesn't make it sound very attractive, but it's, it's sort of like eating your vegetables. You know, once we acknowledge and understand that nature makes us better people. It makes us more productive. It makes us more creative, makes us sleep better, makes us get along with our loved ones better. You know, once we really believe that and understand it, uh, I think we will put more emphasis on it. We will make it a priority. Um, It actually will just make us better at what we do. It's not sort of taking us away necessarily from other things. So I don't like to look at it as, you know, as an either or like yet another item for our to do list. But actually, this is a way to enhance the other things that we do in the rest of our lives. Were you someone who spent a lot of time in nature? And have you started to spend more time in nature as a result of these findings? (laughs) Uh, You know, I actually grew up in New York City. I grew up on the 11th floor of an apartment building in New York City in Manhattan. Um, But in those days, uh, you know, kids could run sort of wild, right, in the 70s and 80s. And I lived a few blocks from Central Park. I was actually in Central Park almost every day. I was Hmm. running around or playing soccer or doing whatever, riding my bike. Um, And my dad also happened to be this total wilderness guy. Like he loved canoeing. We had a van (laughs) and we used Mm -hmm. to move into the van in the summer and drive out west and go canoeing all these rivers. So I had this funny duality of, you know, very urban life and then this like wilderness, wilderness life that was totally unplugged, um, totally off road. 
Um, I and love I it. That sounded that like it was training me. ground for, for everything you've done later in life and having that juxtaposed sort of viewpoint. It was. I, I kind of used to feel like confused about it. I was like, am I a city girl or am I a nature girl? And which one <laughs> am I? And at, at some point, I sort of calmed down about it. And I just realized, you know what? It's okay to be a little bit of both. I don't have to be them both at the same time. I can love being in a city and have a great time. And then, you know, I can I can go somewhere, you know, on a vacation or that's not always easy. I can make it a priority to really you know, get out a little bit every day. And so that's what I do. And yes, I do make it more of a priority. I do do it more. Um, I I end up walking my dog in the parks in Washington, D.C., like literally every single day. I have to go out for even if it's just 30 minutes, I've got to do it. I hear you. I'm, I'm the same. Yeah. Even if I've got periods of time when I'm not out in the wild, I got to find a little piece of wild here you know my office you would laugh it's just full of plants it looks like you're walking into a rainforest you know so another thing that you helped inspired florence so oh my thank God. you so much Th- so thank great. you so much for joining us you're so welcome it's been a pleasure florence williams is the author of the nature fix why nature makes us happier healthier and more creative she also hosts her own podcast the three-day effect you can find that on audible We may be on a break from our regular episodes right now, but you can still get great content from us on Instagram. Follow us at The Wild Pod. And special thanks to Cara McDermott for making that great page. This episode was produced by Matt Martin and edited by Jim Gates. Brendan Sweeney is our director of content. I'm your host, Chris Morgan. Thanks for listening. At SoundSide, we bring you news and conversation rooted in the Pacific Northwest. Hi, I'm Libby Denkman. I think of my job hosting SoundSide as number one, asking tough questions of powerful people, the questions you, KUOW listeners, want answered. And two, bringing you a daily slice of the fascinating, confounding, and often goofy side of life in Washington State. Join me for SoundSide at noon and 8 p.m. on KUOW or anytime on the SoundSide podcast.